This is an Algoa FM news exclusive. Journey to Justice. What a journey it has been. It's episode 19 and I have a very special guest in studio. It is Alvain Gribeneau. He is Arnold de Blanche's lawyer. Thank you so much for joining me on this exclusive episode. Thank you, Doreen. Nice being here and nice being with you and the listeners. I'm just going to start right out. Let, let's start with Arnold's bail. Is it true that he paid his bail in one million rand in cash? Yes, indeed. Uh, look, once bail is set by the court, uh, bail needs to be paid in cash. The uh, Criminal Procedure Act makes provision that uh, the amount needs to be deposited. The amount of bail fixed by the court uh, needs to be deposited with clerk of the court or the registrar of the court, uh, as the case may be. Do they prefer 200 notes, 100 notes? No, what happened in this case <laughs> is after bail was set on appeal in, in Grahamstown, uh, I contacted the clerk of the court in Port Elizabeth in order to try and arrange to do an EFT. They told me it's not a problem. They will sort it out with head office, which is situated in Pretoria, and uh, they'll get back to me. They got back to me and told me uh, it'll take plus minus seven days for head office to confirm receipt of the money. And that's not good enough for you and your client? Well, that uh, the bottom line of the story is that he needs to remain in custody for another seven days. I indicated to them that it's a large amount of money, it's a million rand, and uh, if we cannot go to their bank and somebody of clerk of the court, some of the seniors can accompany me and we can make the deposit at their bank so that the money is uh, immediately available, uh, this was also turned down. So it left me no option as to uh, get hold of the cash and bring the cash down to clerk of the court at New Law Courts in North End and to pay the money there in cash. What was the cash in? Briefcase? Backpack? Cash was uh, compiled uh, by the bank and I uplifted the uh, box with the cash uh, and it was in 200 rent notes. Okay. Just on bail... Uh People have a complete misconception about bail because some people get 500 rand bail, others get 100, others get out on a warning. And here comes Arnold and Oscar Pistorius, another classic example, getting bail of a million rand. And it's basically uh, you and your client saying, look, we're not going to evade try. We will be here. So let's say if Arnold is in court throughout the trial and on the day of judgment, does he get the money back? Yes. Regardless of his, if he's guilty or innocent. Absolutely. The bail money is there to ensure his presence at court and to ensure that he uh, adheres to the bail conditions attached to his release. So the interest you get from a million rand? Unfortunately, the interest goes to the state. Oh, well, I guess that's fair enough. Salaries need to be paid. I think it's fair enough. As long as they use it to uh, get rid of load shedding, it won't be a problem. <laughs> well, speaking of load shedding, are you at all concerned as to how load shedding is going to impact this trial when it finally gets underway? No, not at all. Not at this stage. Uh, the High Court here in Port Elizabeth has been running smoothly despite load shedding. Uh, there is a generator in place, so uh, the court rolls should not be affected by load shedding, especially the trials in the High Court. Now, Alvin, I was shocked when Arnold got bail, okay? I remember speaking to you and you said to me, your client should have been granted bail from the get-go. And you also said that Maria Stunder, uh, the state prosecutor, conceded to that. But the listeners still don't understand because he was in custody for 15 months. So I need you to try and explain to me from a legal aspect. You know, in the magistrate's court, Cribben Pillay said 
that Arnold would interfere with state witnesses. And this was echoed by Judge Hoosen on appeal, who said the state has a strong case against Arnold and that there was a real possibility that he would evade his trial. So what exactly changed in Makanda? I mean, you said to me that he should have had bail all along, but uh, what were the reasons that these um, arguments in the high court and in the lower courts could not stand up in Makanda? The magistrate in the magistrate's court, Mr. Pillay, denied bail and he, he based his, his finding on the following two legs. Firstly, he said that there's a likelihood that if released on bail, uh, Arnold will attempt to influence or intimidate witnesses. Now, this finding he based on Swanepoel's affidavit, that's the investigating officer, that Arnold had coerced Ethan Terblanche into deposing to an affidavit, and further that he threatened Marius Terblanche, Ethan's father, to convince Ethan to make a statement. Now, that statement relates to what happened on an event on a farm where drugs were used. Mm-hmm. Right. So that stood in court, unfortunately, uncontested. The second leg, uh, as far as that is concerned, is the court also found that there's a likelihood that if Arnold is released on bail, he might attempt to flee and evade his trial. This was based on the strength of the state's case and further that he had diminished the value of his estate by shifting assets. The finding that he made based on what was said in the statement of Swanepoel is correct, but... It's not the truth. Okay. Pillay Elaborate. Was, Pillay was misled. Let's get to the statement uh, of Ethan de Blanche and Marius de Blanche. That is why we then brought a bail application on new facts. That was after Judge Hoosen turned down the appeal. We then brought a bail application on new facts in order to set the record straight. We took Swanepoel's statement... And we then indicated to the court where in Swanepoel's statement the court had been misled and therefore the finding that the court made could not stand. For instance, statements made by Ethan and by his father Marius. Who is Arnold's brother, if I can just clarify. That's correct, 100%. Mm -hmm. Now, According to paragraph 311 of Swanepoel's statement, he says, It has, however, come to light that De Blanche had bought a motor vehicle for this family member and threatened Ethan's father that he would lose his job at Proac Engineering should his son not furnish the affidavit. The affidavit, in order to assist with the divorce case, to indicate and show that indeed Vicky the deceased was in fact using drugs. Hmm. Now, if one looks at the timeline, of these statements and the events. On the 3rd of February 2020, the car was bought. On the 4th of February 2020, 50,000 rand, a contribution only towards the purchase price of the car, was paid over by Arnold to his brother Marius. Then the event itself about which the statement was taken, happened on the sixth month in 2020. In other words, June 2020. And the affidavit itself was only taken down from Ethan on the 3rd of March 2021. Can I interject why are these dates important? Because at that time, Vicky had not yet filed for a divorce. Is that what you're trying to say? No. 
What I'm trying to say is the state's allegation that Ethan was bribed to make a statement is impossible because at the time that the bribe, the 50,000 rand was paid, the event about which he had to make a statement hadn't occurred yet. That only happened some four months after the buying of the vehicle. So to say to the court that a vehicle was bought for Ethan in order to make an affidavit is totally incorrect and is misleading in the extreme. And to say that Marius Terblanche was told that he's going to lose his job if his son doesn't make a statement is also incorrect. How can he be told that he's going to lose his job if his son doesn't make a statement about the event that hasn't happened? So that in itself was indicative of the fact that the court's finding that Arnold will intimidate or influence witnesses was totally incorrect. The second leg on which the court denied bail was the likelihood that if released, he might attempt to flee and evade his trial as a result of the strength of the state's case and the fact that he diminished the value of his estate by shifting assets. Now, let's look at the strength of the state's case at the time. If one looks at the strength of the state case, one needs to have a look at what the state alleged in their papers regarding the strength of their case. Now, one needs to remember that Swanepoel starts off his statement, his affidavit, by saying that each allegation that I refer to is at present being supported by evidence contained in affidavits. Correct. Cell phone downloads. WhatsApp messages. Thank you. Now, in the line of that, if one looks at paragraph 328 of his statement, Swanepoel says... Having put the plan in motion to have the deceased killed during the 1715 meeting. So he is indicating to the court that he has got either affidavit or WhatsApp or some or other evidence indicating that at that meeting they put a plan in motion to have the deceased killed. This is not the Chelsea Sports Bar. That's correct. There's no such evidence. There is no such evidence at all. I, I know I said I was going to ask you if you have access to everything that the state has against your client. I know they do it in the movies. I don't know if that's necessarily the case because uh, Marius Standard doesn't seem to be a guy who, who likes to play all his cards, and you know that. No, I'm aware, I'm aware of that 100%. But uh, he needs to disclose the content of the police docket and all evidence that he intends using at the trial prior to the trial commencing. Once the investigation is complete, he needs to disclose that to the defense. Okay, that answers my question. But be that as it may, the reason why all of this was not used in the first bail application, I can only say, is because we were brought under the impression that during the first bail application, there were affidavits substantiating these allegations. In other words, they had approached Ethan Terblanche. They had approached Marius Terblanche who had made statements to this effect. After bail was denied in the first bail application, we were approached by these people. And they told us, but what's going on? And we indicated, but we cannot talk to you because you're a state witness. And only then it came to light that they've never made statements to the, to the state. 
And it was at that stage that we obtained the affidavits in order to support our bail application on new facts. And am I correct to say that they are not state witnesses? They are not state witnesses. But let's move on. The strength of the state case. Paragraph 354 of Swanepoel's statement. He says the following. Communications between Leach and Tablanche are hidden. That is not true. Arnold Tablanche, prior to his arrest, gave the police his cell phone with all WhatsApp messages, all phone calls, all photos, everything on it before his arrest in order to try and assist the police in getting behind the truth. Is there not a second phone? Many people have second phones. Well, if there's a second phone, where is it? A second phone has never been alleged. Okay. So there is no second phone. Then it goes on. Leach and Tablanche meet at secluded venues. There's been one meeting between Leach and Tablanche. One only. At the Chelsea Sports Bar. At the Chelsea Sports Bar. It's not very secluded. It's just quite far out of town. No, which is fair. (laughs) On your way to where? Where's the child at school? Oh, Woodridge. Right. So what's the problem? Mm -hmm. It's a public place. It's frequented by other members of the public. There's nothing secluded about that. And there was only one meeting. One meeting with Leach and Arnold. Now, they refer to meetings at secluded venues. Mm. More than one meeting. That's the impression that they're trying to create with the court. Let's continue. False police reports are made. Where does that come from? What false police report has Arnold made? None. There is no false police report. Let's continue. It has since come to light that De Blanche had taken out a life insurance policy on the life of the deceased. Hello. So where's that policy? I was told that it's already paid out and that uh, his child was the beneficiary. Are you telling me that's not true? Well, I don't know whether it's paid out or not, but that policy was not taken out by Tablanche. And more so, the policy cannot pay out to a minor. It can pay out to a trust for the benefit of the child. But let's continue. Together with his broker, they put a plan in motion in order to secure the payout. So now the broker is dragged into this. Now the broker is dragged into this. Have they ever approached the broker? No, they have not. Have they ever taken a statement of the broker? No. No, they have not. So they, they, they put everything to the court as if it is fact, mm. whilst it is not. If I am the presiding officer in a matter and all of this is placed in front of me, obviously, I would think that they've got a very strong case. But it continues. Paragraph 4.9, documentation and monies paid for the killing of the deceased were paid over. What documentation? There's no documentation whatsoever that the state have. No documentation ever was handed over. And money, because I want to specifically talk to you about a little bit later on. let's, Let's get to the money. There was money left for Leach. There was money left for Leach in the amount of 2,200 Rand for a vehicle upgrade. And there was money left for Leach in an amount of 1,000 Rand. That was for dog food and to buy electricity for Vicky's house. 
Now, it's important that the money was left where? At, at reception. The, at the guardhouse. Yeah. Where there is what? Cameras. Hmm. So, he could then substantiate whether they did pick up the money or not. Remember, there's two entrances to this place. The one has got a camera, the one hasn't. Why leave the money at the one where there's a camera? Arnold is on the body corporate. He was responsible for setting up the cameras. He knows there's cameras. Why would he then make use of that guardhouse where the camera is if he's hiding something? That's a fair point. And at the end of the day, an amount of 3,200 rand was paid over to Leach. To murder somebody? But this is what this is exactly what I wanted to discuss with you a little bit later on. I can understand what benefit Arnold would have had with Vicky dead. All right, what benefit would Leach have had? That is what what confuses me because um, he stayed in Vicky's house. He had a car there. He had food there. A roof over his head. So now with Vicky dead, what was he gaining? Because nowhere does the state talk about. 80,000 rand or 100,000 rand that he was paid to take Vicky's life. And if I was the devil's advocate, which is the title of this episode, there was drugs involved. Just thinking about what Colors had said in his plea, there were drugs involved. They were all high. He did find uh, Vicky in bed with Colors and they did have a fight. And maybe out of anger, he killed her. Well, it's difficult to speculate. What we do know is we know what Colors says. We have also been told... What Leach's version is. Leach's version is that Cullis is the murderer. But sure. let's get back to that when we discuss the other's involvement in the matter. I just want to get back to the strength of the state case. All right. Paragraph 5.6. Leach and Tablanche have, as early as 14 October 2021, verbalized their ability to avoid detection by swapping SIM cards and using SIM cards that are not required to avoid detection. Where's that evidence? The state can prove with Arnold's cell phone whether SIM cards were swapped or not. It wasn't swapped. The SIM card was never taken out and used in another phone. And there was never another SIM card put in his phone in order to avoid detection. I'm not good with technology, but what about phones that has a dual SIM card? Even if it has a dual SIM card, the state can pick that up. All right. There's no evidence to that effect. Mm -hmm. It did not happen. I can carry on like this. At the end of the day, we were able to show to the court that there were so many misleading statements made that the court's finding to which it came to say that indeed the state has got a strong case was not so. Well, that makes more sense now because why your answer to me was initially so brief because it, it, the answer is a mouthful. No, 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 indeed. But even the fact that he, he moved assets, you know, <laughs> once again, if you look at the evidence, paragraph 3.10 of Swanepoel's statement, the Blanche systematically diminished the value of his estate by transferring his movable assets into the name of his family members and Wiggle. Mm-hmm. That's his Bucky, his Harley Davidsons. 100%. The Blanche has also removed himself as director of PROAC Engineering and replaced him with his son-in-law, thus creating the impression that he is unemployed. Now, he was removed as director in November 2019. That was prior to the first DeFore summons being issued. 
That's correct. So it wasn't done now in order to try and minimize his assets in the second divorce proceeding. Further, Ruan Nell was never officially made a director. That's correct. I checked that up and his name was never there. Precisely. Nothing was ever transferred into Wiggle's name. A Bucky was bought, a Toyota Hilux, which was registered in her name from the outset, but that happened in July 2021. That Mm. was after the divorce, the second divorce proceedings were instituted. But again, I want to be the devil's advocate here. If if you are, are a man like Arnold with a successful business and you're going through a divorce, divorces are messy. I have spoken to so many divorce lawyers. Things get ugly and people fight dirty. They want to fight dirty. So uh, it doesn't mean that, that you're a murderer. No man wants to pay his ex-wife anything. Let's be honest. Well, except Arnold. Except Arnold. Because Arnold gave instructions to his attorney handling the divorce proceedings that a receiver needs to be appointed in order to calculate the accrual of both him and Vicky in order to have a 50-50 split. So if the state said she was entitled to five million, do you agree with that? Well, the only thing that I can say is the assets that the state alleged was moved. Moved is not even ballpark. No, 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 well, ballpark, not even a 15th mm. of his total assets. Because uh, I also wanted to mention that the state says that uh, part of the motive was that Arnold didn't want to pay all this money. He wanted sole custody, but, but clearly Arnold can afford this. Well, over and above the fact that he could afford it, there is an instruction confirmed by his divorce lawyer that he wants to give her what is due to her, 50% of the accrual. It's in the writing. It's and you're obviously going to bring this forth in, in, the, in the trial. It was brought forth already in the bail application. The correspondence was produced and handed to court. So already at that stage, if the state alleges that the motive was he didn't want to pay, that's out of the window. Mm. But but to come back, you know, uh, what was said as far as the diminishing of the, of the assets is concerned. I mean, the BMW X5, the state stood up and addressed the court and said the value of this BMW X5 is $2.7 million. Now, it's a 2013 model with 136,000 kilometers on the clock. The value for this vehicle is set at 240,000 rand. So, once again, the court is being misled. So, all of this was indicative of the fact that, you know, assets are being moved in order not to be uh, 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 detected. Which is not so. Well, it's also a narrative. The, the state needs to build their case, and which is so important why I invited you here today, because you also have a valid case, and that's why people go to court. You are innocent Precisely. until proven guilty. Precisely. You must remember that the state built their case on the fact that uh, the deceased was not using drugs. Because... Uh, Paragraph 326, for instance, of Swanepoel's statement, he says the following. It shows that the allegation that she is a drug addict is a blatant lie. And most importantly, 
This is the foundation laid for the subsequent murder of the deceased. So the fact that Arnold is lying about a drug abuse is the foundation that he's trying to lay in order to have her murdered. And what happens next? They had to concede. They had to concede that indeed she was a drug addict because we produced the papers that she's been to rehab. We Mm. produced statements of various witnesses with whom she had been using drugs. So this foundation is gone. Can I continue with a different um, topic, Alvain? Yes, um, please. I want to briefly touch on the plea deal that was taken by Dylan Cullors. He said, Leach told him that Arnold wanted Vicky dead. This is the first time Arnold's name is mentioned. And then, then later he makes reference to a phone call and a conversation in the car where Vicky's body was allegedly in the boot. And then Maria de Redder said in Junior said in Afrikaans, and I'll say it now in English, uh, the husband is now playing dumb. Until such a time this can be tested in court, is this not considered hearsay? Because I know hearsay is not admissible. Yes, indeed. But, but, but before we get to that, let's just have a look at the inconsistency of this statement. Of Dylan Cullis's now. Of Dylan Cullis's statement. Remember, Dylan Cullis says that on the 20th of October 21, remember the date, mm-hmm. 20 October 21, between 10 and 12, this conversation took place on the phone. And this is what was said. And then the husband was playing dumb. Okay. All right. Right. But this is also the day that Arnold flew to Johannesburg, is it not? Forget about that. On the same date, the 20th of October 2021, at 12.07, the following voice note is sent by Leach to Arnold. Now, remember, he's already told Arnold she's dead. Mm-hmm. And at that stage, according to Swanepoel's statement, paragraph 349, these three people are still together. So Kallis is still with Leach and Derrida. And Leach sends Arnold the following voice note. Hello Arnold. Ja, ek weet nie wat met haar aangaan nie ou. Sy is nie lekker nie. Sy wil die heel tyd vir allemaal hulle fortune vertel en die sin van sy kan met geest of sulke goed. Sy kan vir mense sê wat met hulle gebeur. En ja, ek weet nie. Sy is nie daar. Daar is iets fout. Ek weet nie, sy gebruik baie dwelms en goed en sy praat die hele tijd op haar foon met ander mense. Ek weet nie, excuse the punt, sy fok rond, ou, en die belangrijkste is ek soos met nubbel, dit is nie een goeie plek vir hom om te wees nie. Ek weet nie, ek en sy het heavy strijerij gehad gestrand en ek het vandag daar gekom toe was sy weggewees. Ek weet nie, ek het vanochtend vroeg gereid toe ons die bekleirij gehad het, want toe ek wakker word, toe is sy in die snubbelkamer bezig daar so met iemand anderste. So toe het ons strijre gehad, ek het my goed gevat en ek het gerei. Ek dacht ek laat weet maar net. Toe ek nou nou daar omruim te gaan kyk, toe sien ek dat sy is nie daar nie. En ek weet nie, ek weet nie waarin sy is nie. So ja, asjeblief, bel my wanneer jy hierdie boodskap kry. So he sends this message to Arnold. Who's quote unquote playing dumb. Who's playing dumb. Who's, who he has already told that the job is done. Mm. But the state obviously has that. Well, the state did have this, but they never produced it and put it before court. Because that doesn't kind of go in line with what Cullis said in his plea. Precisely. That's my point, precisely. But let's get back to what Cullis says in his plea. Remember, 
What Culler says in his plea is an extracurial statement by one accused and it is inadmissible in evidence against the co-accused. So does he say. I heard Leach say this and this Correct. and this. Correct. If Leach does not get into the witness box to confirm this is indeed what I said, it's got no value whatsoever. All right. Now, although the next question is better suited to the state, I thought with your experience uh, in your career, I would ask you, uh, why was the Ridder the lucky one, if quote-unquote, uh, to get a 204 status when Cullis's involvement was equal to that of the Ridder? Uh, I know we just had a conversation now with what you said to me, but uh, before I knew that, I always wondered, uh, maybe that's why. Well, let's just start off by saying that you're indeed correct. This is a question that the state should answer. But I would just like to say the following. The Ridder is now the 204 witness. Correct. You make somebody who's an accomplice in a matter, a murder matter, a 204 witness. Why? Because you don't have enough evidence against the other people to get a conviction. So now you take the redder against who you have a very strong case. The reason why I'm saying you've got a very strong case is, once again, I would like to refer to the statement of Swanepoel from paragraph 346 and onwards, where he sets out his case against each and every single accused person, including the Ridder. Remember, the Ridder was with mm. in the house. The whole time. The Ridder was with when she was murdered. He was in the room. Correct. The Ridder was with and assisted in selling her jewelry and personal belongings. And going to the grave. The Ridder was with when the gravesite was, I don't know how to put it. When she was placed in the grave. Precisely. Uh, the Ridder was with when Later, her phone was sold after it had been factory reset. So, the Ritter was with with a gun. The Ritter was with the whole time. And he can only implicate two persons. He can implicate Cullis. And Leach. And Leach. But let's look at Cullis. At that stage, Cullis had already confessed to everything. He had made a formal confession and he had made a pointing out of the body. So why do you want to make use of a 204 witness to implicate Cullis if you've already got the strong case against him? But that's exactly what puzzled me. Let's move further. Let's go to Leach. Leach placed himself on the scene in a statement he made to the police. He sold the personal belongings of the deceased. He paid the witness to dig the grave. The vehicle with which he travelled around has got GPS, so they can plot him exactly at the time and date on the place where everything happened. Why make the Ritter a witness against Leach if they've got this very strong case against him? So, the only reason why you would do that, other than testifying against Cullis and Leach, is to testify against Arnold. Now, let's get to that, and this is very important. In his statement, he sets out the various or the roles of the, all the various role players. Now, according to the state, that would now include Arnold. So what does Arnold do? He calls the bluff. He says, 
De Ridder does not know me. I have never met him. Mm. I have never spoken to him. There is no way that De Ridder can name me as a role player. I challenge the state to produce the Ridder's 204 statement in order to prove the allegation they make in this paragraph. He goes further than that. If the state does not want to produce the statement, I request the court in terms of section 63 of the Criminal Procedure Act to order that the statement be placed before the court. Something which the court is entitled to do. It's within its powers. What did the state do? The state was not prepared to show us that statement. The state was not prepared to place that statement before court. Why? Mm. What is going to change if they place the statement before court? So do you think uh, that Derrida should be worried? Absolutely. I think so too. Absolutely. Remember, Cullis alleges that Leach committed the murder. Leach alleges Cullis committed the murder. What does Derrida say? I presume Derrida is going to say that Leach committed the murder because... Cullis already said he did. The state would not have accepted Cullis' plea bargain if it was not in line with the evidence at their disposal. So, you know, all of that is, 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 it's, I don't know, I cannot understand why he was given the opportunity of becoming a 204 witness. But I need to elaborate further. Leach is in prison. I am told that Leach receives a visit whilst in prison. And Leach... The one who murdered Vicky, according to the state, is told, we can offer you a 204 if you implicate Arnold. If this is true, then it's indicative of the fact that the state realizes they've got big problems and they now are scratching around for evidence against Arnold. Because I, I'm glad you're saying that now because it, it, it falls into my next point. And I think for people who don't understand how court cases work, um, the onus is on the state to prove the guilt and not on you, the defense, to prove Arnold's innocence. So quite frankly, you can just sit back because all the pressure is on the state to prove their case beyond a reasonable doubt. But that brings me to my next question. You know, I watch a lot of TV. I know they say whatever you say can and will be used against you in a court of law. How on earth did you allow Arnold to speak? Because you obviously feel super confident in this matter and you made him take part in the Heis Genoet Ware Levensdrama documentary, of which I was part of as well. And um, can I assume that he's going to take the stand? Well, let's start off with the Heis Genoet story. Nobody has approached Arnold to hear his side of the story. I would have loved to if I had known he was approachable. but 100%. But Heisgenoot approached him and asked him, is he prepared to go on camera, to speak to them regarding this matter? And obviously, he said he hasn't got a problem. He's got nothing to hide. Mm. He doesn't mind the questions being put to him. Because he knows what he knows. It's as simple as that. Mm. To come back to your question, if Arnold is going to take the stand, if and only if the trial reaches the stage for the defense to produce evidence, Arnold will most definitely testify in his own defense. But that is if Mm. that stage of the proceedings is reached. Because you must remember that 
at the close of the state case for the prosecution at any trial, if the court is of the opinion that there is no evidence that the accused committed the offence referred to in the charge or any offence of which he may be convicted on the charge, it may at that stage already return a verdict of not guilty. But the extra charges that that that's, uh, that Arnold was been, was slapped with, with the half a million rand he gave to Pundelezweni and his explanation for it is very believable. And uh, respectfully to Mr. Zweni, this was someone who saw a man in prison who obviously has a lot of money and he might have thought, mm, I could get something out of this guy. Dorina, he's desperate, he's in prison, he has money. Doreen, I agree with you fully. I agree with you 100%. You know, but the question arises, how does a man like Zweni get access to a person inside St. Albans prison. Remember, Zweni was taken to Arnold inside prison to his cell wearing a police police jacket being introduced by members of correctional services to Arnold as a colonel in the police. Who's investigating Connor. Precisely. Who wants Arnold. Precisely. And he tells him, it's important that we have communication with each other. And in front of the persons, the employees, the head of prison, he hands him a cell phone and says, if you need to contact me, here's a cell phone. It goes further than that. Zweni arranges that he be booked out of prison and taken to his house doctor. Zweni arranges for contact visits between him and his son. What must Arnold believe? And who would say no? Well, precisely. But I mean, if this happens with the blessing of your, your, your people at Correctional Services, and if you are seen by Zweni in the head of Correctional Services' office, why would you think that there's anything untoward? Do you think um, when this trial concludes that there's a real possibility that Zweni could be charged with something? Well... We're waiting in order to receive our copy of the police docket with the evidence against us. Once we have received that, we will take the matter against you any further. Because he is a state witness, is there any chance he can become a defense witness? Never. Never. Only if Marius does not call him, though. Well, if Marius doesn't call him, how is he going to prove his case? Marius needs to call him in order Mm. to prove his case. Mm. But, once again, he can only be called as a 204 witness. Mm. So once again, you're sitting with a, as you say, Skellum, who's a 204 witness, who has benefited in excess of half a million rand, and you use a person like that to try and get to Arnold. One would have expected that your sympathy would lie with Arnold, especially in these circumstances, and that Mr. Zweni would be in the accused dock. But... I had a lot of questions for you about your strategy going into this case. But after chatting to you now, you've derailed all my questions uh, because your strategy is clear uh, that Arnold has done nothing wrong. So um, and you even quite willing to put him on the stand. But I just briefly wanted to touch on, you know, we know you as it was always Olvain Gribeneau and the late Terry Price. The two of you were like the Laurel and Hardys. And now you got uh, Peter Doberman, who is. To me, such an interesting character. Uh, I got to deal with him during the Panayotu trial. And uh, obviously, you all need to know the law. But 
he strikes me as someone with an incredible memory. He can just um, quote case law left, right and center. And with the Omatosa trial, something that's been very frustrating is like he can appeal things on all kinds of technicalities and it ends up in the high court. And for me, that's all just a tactic to delay the trial. And, and if I listen to you now, this is not what you want. You don't want this trial to be delayed. You want Arnold, if you believe in his innocence, to get his life back as soon as possible. With no delaying tactics. Absolutely, 100%. We do not want to delay. We want the state to call the witnesses and we want to prove that Arnold is innocent so that he can have a normal life. Arnold, unfortunately, has been branded in the public eye and public opinion and he's living a very difficult life at this stage. But be that as it may, let's get back to Peter. Peter is hardworking, he's diligent, he has a very good knowledge and understanding of the law. I love working with Peter uh, and I will involve Peter in this case once we go on trial because I've got a very good working relationship with him and I think we complement one, one another as far as, 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 as working together is concerned. There's no technicalities that we need to take as far as this case is concerned. It's a straightforward matter. We plead not guilty. We deny being uh, well, we deny committing any murder. We deny conspiring to commit murder. Uh, we was not part of any of the offences committed by Leach, Cullis or Derrida. It's as simple as that. And I know you faced off with Marius so many times. Um, and I've seen both of you lose your temper in court, uh, possibly not while court is in progress, but on the sidelines. Is it... Always like that? Or have you been to his house? Have you had a drink in his bar? Or is it always just business? Because I know there must be a mutual respect. But I remember you were quite upset when um, when Ter Blanche was arrested and slapped with more charges. I broke that story. I phoned you immediately and, and you were agitated. And, and you accused Maurice of not being a team player, if I can call it that. Well, absolutely. The timing of the new charges happened immediately after judgment in the appeal on the bail application for new facts. When the court found there are new facts and handed down judgment, Marius walked out of court, got onto his phone, got organized crime to drive through to St. Albans and go charge uh, Arnold. Why? I need something new now. Why do you think that the state could, and I know you'll be speculating, but why do you think the state would not just be happy with Leach, Cullis and Derrida? They killed, allegedly killed this woman and they buried her. Why must Arnold, why is there this pressure, do you think, then, to involve Arnold in this? Would this case have received the same media publicity if Arnold was not involved? Not as much, but definitely some. I think you've answered my question. Oh, you haven't told me if you've had a drink with Marius. With him? Strictly business. Uh, some of your other clients, Buti Boer, uh, Christopher Paniyoti, Bob Hewitt, they've all been found guilty and gone to jail. So I can only assume that in this particular matter, you are fully confident. Yeah, I think you're cherry picking the guilty ones only. Uh, <laughs> Apologize. No, 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 no. It's not a problem at all. <laughs> Uh, as far as this matter is concerned, I am very, very confident. I'm not only confident because in what I see as far as the evidence is concerned. I have dealt with Arnold over a matter of 12 months. And I am satisfied in my mind that Arnold is not guilty. Mm. That he's got nothing to do with the death of Vicky. 
So just in closing, now that uh, now that he's not in prison anymore, he's obviously free to move around. It must be make your life so much easier to consult with him. How often do you see him to discuss the trial and where do you meet? At his house? Well, I see Arnold on average, say, once every second week. Uh, we haven't started our preparation for the trial yet because obviously we're still waiting for copies of the police docket and the statements and evidence which uh, the state has gathered over the last couple of months. Uh, but once we receive that, we will start in all earnest and, and start preparing. When are you hoping to have a trial date? G- give me a ballpark. Are we talking June, July, August, September, this year even? My personal opinion is I doubt whether we will have a trial date in this year. Sure. The court trials, unfortunately, are just too full. And and the problem is you've got a lot of old matters where people are in custody. and Obviously, those matters receive preference. you also got a lot of partly heard matters which must also receive preference because they must get finalized. So uh, we're going to fall in the back of the queue uh, as far as the trial date is concerned. So we will have to wait our turn uh, to, to, to get on trial. Alvin, it's been such a pleasure. Thank you for unpacking this for me from the defence's side. I think it's really, really important. You know, um, I think the state, uh, Marius Standard, I have a lot of respect for him, but the public will always be on the victim side and the state side, but there are always two sides of a story, and I'm so grateful that you came to, to unpack it for me today. Thank you so much. You're more than welcome. Thank you. That, that was an Algoa FM News Exclusive.